You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Amen, amen. Hey, we are His people. Amen. He is our God. That is the reason that we meet here is to lift Him up, to make Him famous, and to be not only encouraged, not only equipped, but to be challenged, to draw closer to Him. And the Bible is really clear, and there's a promise in the book of James that says if we draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. And we are claiming that promise in this place. I have a couple things for you. They're going to make you very excited. Number one is we do not have to tear down after service today. Amen? So, you leave your chairs where they are, leave everything up. It is summertime, so we do not have to tear down. Which means we don't have to set up next week because it will already be set up. So we are praising God for a little break of that. Also, this is Memorial Day weekend. And you guys, most of you made a choice to be here this morning. Some of you didn't. Some of you, your wife said you're coming. Some of you, your mom and dad said you're coming, right? So you didn't really have a choice. But for the, for the majority of us, we made a choice to be here. And the reason that we have that choice is because we have men and women who have fought for that freedom, for that choice. And some of those men and women paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. They laid down their life so that we could have freedom to choose to be at church on a Sunday morning. So what I want to do is I just want to, I want to take a moment just to, to recognize those who gave their life for our freedom, and then we're going to pray, and we're going to jump in. So let's just have a moment of silence. God, thank you for the freedom that we have here in this country. God, because of Your sovereignty, we live in a country where we can choose to worship You freely. God, and and You used men and women and their sacrifice to give us that freedom. And we honor those men and women who gave their lives for us today. God, we thank You that there are people that fight for freedom in this country. We thank You that there are people who did give the ultimate sacrifice. We pray for families that have to have to deal with the loss on a personal, relational level, God. And I pray that we as a country, we never forget the sacrifices made for us. And ultimately, God, Your sacrifice of sending Jesus on a rescue mission is the greatest sacrifice of all time. And we worship You for that in this place. We give You the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. So, we're in the book of Ruth. This is week chapter 4. I'm going to give you a recap of weeks 1 through 3. We see that there is a man named Elimelech, and he is married to a woman named Naomi. Everything seems okay with that, right? They're married. They're living life. They are in Bethlehem. Bethlehem is experiencing famine, so they, they have no food. So, Elimelech being the leader of his home, he says, hey, so we're going to move over to Moab because I hear that over in Moab there, there's things that we can do, we can work, we can eat. And that all sounds good, except 
God specifically told them, hey, don't go to Moab. Don't move there. It is a horrible place. There's child sacrifice. There is prostitutes in the worship. There's all kinds of craziness going on. And Elimelech, because of his temporary circumstances, says, hey, I'm going to do even what God told me not to do because these temporary circumstances are just weighing down on me and I want to lead my family. So they go, they have two sons, and the two sons marry Moabite women. We have Orpah and Ruth, who they marry. And then it just so happens that Elimelech dies and his two sons. So we have Naomi left with two daughter-in-laws. Now, I don't know how you feel about your in-laws, but this is a crazy situation going on right now. They moved to Moab so they wouldn't die. They die anyway. And then we're left with three widows. We have Naomi and we have the two daughter-in-laws. And she, Naomi, through her pain, through experiencing the loss of a husband and two sons, she tells her daughter-in-laws to go back to Moab so that they can remarry, so they could be taken care of, even though the place was so far away from God. And Orpah's like, yep, I'm gone. And she leaves and we never hear about her again. And Ruth says, I'm not going anywhere. She says, your people are my people. Your God is my God. I will go where you go. And it is the moment that Ruth puts her trust and her faith in God. It is the conversion moment for her. So Naomi and Ruth, they go back to Bethlehem. And people are like, hey, is this Naomi? It stirs up the city because she's back. Her name means sweet, like sweetheart. She comes back and she says, hey, don't call me sweet anymore. Call me bitter because the Lord has been bitter toward me. And somehow through all of this, through all of her pain and all of her struggle, Naomi still has a glimpse of Jesus. She still somehow realizes that God is good and that He is sovereign. It's through that faith that Naomi has that Ruth becomes a believer. So then Ruth goes and she begins to work. And the Bible says that she happens to happen upon the field of Boaz. Now, I don't know if you've ever happened to happen upon something in your life, but I happen to happen to find like the most beautiful, best woman in the world to marry. It just, I just happen to happen. And when you, when you have those moments, you have to realize that nothing just happens to happen, that God and His sovereignty is working in all things. So we have Ruth going to this field. She is gleaning. She is getting stuff from the outside of the field because there was a law that said, hey, so your people on your field can get everything on the inside, but leave the, leave the margins for those who are marginalized. Leave the outside of, of your fields for those who don't have so that they can come and have. So she goes and she's working on the outside of this field and Boaz sees her and says, hey, who are you? She says who she is. He shows her grace and she says, who am I that I would find favor among you? And he basically responds, who am I that I would have enough to bless you with? And we see this gratefulness being very contagious, and then what it leads to is it leads to them actually starting to date. I don't know if you've ever met a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend like on the farm. Anybody ever done that before? Alright, cool. He did. And he 
We, we read these verses last week, but we're going to start again in chapter 2, verses 15. We're just going to see a different side of these verses. But what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how to chase Jesus while we're in a relationship. We're going to talk about the, the type of person that God has called us to be, whether a man or a woman, whether single, whether dating, or whether married. It's really simple that we chase Jesus and leave the sovereign stuff up to Him. How easy is it for us to try to control things on our own? And it's so easy. And I am the world's worst about trying to control different aspects of different things until finally it's like, I can't do this. I need someone to do for me what I can't do for myself. And it all points back to the Gospel where I'm a sinful person. And I say, Jesus, I can't do for me what I need done and He comes on a rescue mission to save all of humanity. And we are His people because of what He did, not because of what we did. We are His people because He came on a rescue mission to save us. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And who are those that are lost? It is all of humanity is lost. And He came on a rescue mission for all of us. This is, this is kind of how I like to look at relationships, and I teach this in premarital counseling, but if you have two people and they are both chasing after Jesus, the closer they get to Jesus, the closer they get together. So you have two people here, Jesus is at the top, they get closer to Jesus, they get closer together. We're chasing Jesus, and occasionally we're looking to the side and say, who's with us? And in God's sovereignty, sometimes you look to the side and it's like, oh man, she's awesome. And we kind of step over a little bit so we could get in the way. And then this relationship stuff starts to happen. In Psalm 34, it says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. We're praising Jesus. And then verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. It all starts with you chasing Jesus. And then when a relationship begins to happen, whether dating or married, then you join together and praise Jesus. This is what it looks like to be in a godly relationship. Chapter 2 of Ruth, verse 14, says, And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So, so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. I want to talk about godly men for a minute. Number one is this, godly men pursue. We see that Boaz says, come here. He is pursuing men. Whether you're married, whether you're dating, whether you're single, when is the last time that you pursued your woman? When is the last time? When is the last time that you actually, maybe you shouldn't say come here. It doesn't necessarily work in our culture, right, to say come here, right? But when is the last time that you pursued? Here's the problem is a lot of times when we first start dating, it's really easy to pursue because we're, we're trying, to, trying to make them want to be with us. So we're pursuing and we're showing them that we care about them. And then something happens when we realize, yep, she's mine, or yep, he's mine. Something happens in our brain, and it's like the pursuit stops. 
And we see that godly men never stop pursuing their girl. Ever. Now, some of you, maybe you look at me and you're like, man, your marriage is just different. You're a pastor, blah, blah, blah. I'm here to tell you that this applies to me just as much as it applies to you, that I don't have it all together, that there's a lot of times where I think about, man, when is the last time I pursued my wife? When is the last time I actually showed her that I cared about her? Godly men pursue. Verse 15 says, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. Number two is godly men protect. Boaz is saying, hey, she's going to be out here working and you better look out for her. He is offering protection for her. Godly men protect their wives. They protect their girlfriends. They protect the women in their life. They make them feel safe and valued. Does your wife, does your girlfriend feel safe and protected with you? See, we're called as guys to protect. To be tough for, but to be tender with. The problem is, we're really tough for and we're tough with. And that's not what the Bible calls us to do. We should never be tough with our wife or with our girlfriend. We should be tough for, but really tender with. And some of you guys sitting out here like, I'm just not a tender dude. Like, I get it, man. I'm not either. But because God changes us from the inside out, the tenderness begins to show because we love the way that God loves. Godly men protect. Verse 16 says, and also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So this is what Boaz is telling his guys. He's saying, hey, she's going to do this. You need to protect her. But also, I want you to pull out some extra. So number three is godly men provide. One of the godliest things you can do is get a job. It's just the truth. One of the godliest things you can do is just provide for your family. And some of you, you're sitting there like, man, that's great, I do that. But as you provide, sometimes what we do is we begin to put the, the way that we provide above the people we're providing for. We begin to elevate the, the work. We begin to elevate the provision above the people that we're providing for. And then the value goes way down because I'm telling you, man, that your wife rather take less and have you more than have more and have you less. Like she wants you to be there and to be present and to show value. So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and last week we realized that that was 50 pounds, and Ruth is just, she's jacked, she's pretty strong, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. She's showing this generosity to her mother-in-law. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Next week we will discuss what redeemer means in this time. But there was a law that we see in Deuteronomy where if, if the husband died, then the closest relative had the opportunity to redeem the land and the people left. And we're going to see that he was one of the redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So here, here's what's happening. Ruth and Naomi are having this conversation. Naomi, the mother-in-law, she is waiting on Ruth to get back. Ruth gets back with all this food, with 50 pounds worth, and what was left over from her dinner. She gives some to her mother-in-law. And then they start talking about whose field this is. This is Boaz's field. And, and Naomi explains that he is one of the redeemers. Again, we'll see next week specifically that a redeemer could say, hey, this is, this is the land of my relative who died. I want to redeem this land. You have to have the opportunity. You have to have the resources. And we'll see how that plays out and how the sovereignty of God works in that. And then she said, verse 23, so she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, I love, I love my wife. I love her family. But I would never live with my mother-in-law. I'm just throwing that out there. And some of you understand what I'm talking about. Now, if, if you're not married, if you're single and you're dating, guys, I want you to know that it really helps if you don't just court your, your future wife, but court the mother-in-law too because, man, if the mom-in-law is happy, your life is a lot easier. I can promise you that. We see in verse 23 that it says she's gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvest. I want to transition really quickly to godly women. And godly women, number one, they're hardworking. We see that, that Ruth is, is working hard for herself. Now, what I don't want you to think is that you have to have some job where you're working a lot of hours, where you're doing a lot of stuff because women, man, y'all y'all work harder than we do. I'm just going to throw that out there. Maybe it's not all women. My wife works way harder than me. And she reminds me often that she works way harder than me. But hard working doesn't mean that you, you have a job and you make a lot of money. Hard working means that you, you take care of the stuff that you need to take care of. That you are doing your part. That you are doing the things that God has called you to do in the context of your relationship. And, and I'm blessed with a hardworking woman. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Let's stop for just a minute. Naomi, in this moment, is trying to set Ruth up, right? She is saying, hey, Boaz, he's pretty cool. He's a relative. He's one of our redeemers. This is where he's going to be tonight. You should probably go there. She's trying to set him up. Have, how many of you, your mom's tried to set you up before? Be honest. 
Okay, none of y'all. That's great. Man, praise God for mamas. This is what she says. Wash therefore and anoint yourself. Now, what she's saying is, hey, you need to dress up a little bit. You need, you need to smell good. You need to, she's all, every time she sees Boaz, she's in the field working. And it's okay for that, right? But one of my favorite outfits of, of Ashley is just like some gym shorts and a t-shirt with a hair all messy and like a bun, ponytail, whatever it's called. It's like, man, that's beautiful. And she's like, nope. And she wants to dress up sometimes. And that's cool too. I like that. I, I like her no matter what. She's pretty awesome. But she's telling her, hey, wash up a little bit. You need to smell good. Don't go in your work clothes. Dress up. This is a date. That's what she's trying to tell her. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Okay. So they are celebrating because harvest is over. So it's a party. And she gives some of the best advice that, she, that you can give. Wait till the dude is done eating and drinking before you mess with him. This guy, is he is partying. He's celebrating. He's, he's eating some food. He's drinking. He's probably alcoholic. Just saying, for you Baptists out there, I'm sorry about that, but it probably is. He's just, he's just drinking a little, not a lot. And then she says in verse 4, But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Listen to this. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. So this is what's happening. And I'm trying to get Ashley to memorize this verse in a lot of different translations. She's saying, hey, find out where he lies down. And then go and uncover his feet and lie down and then just wait because he will tell you what to do. I'm, and I, It's just true. Guys are really good at telling women what to do, whether they listen or not, or whether it's right or not. Guys are just good at it. Verse 5, and she replied, all that you say I will do. Here's number two. Godly women are humble. Godly women are humble. All this stuff her mother-in-law is telling her to do, and she says, all that you say I will do. She knows how to submit to authority. She knows how to fall under someone. She's not all about herself. She's not all about making decisions all on her own. She is humble, and she says, hey, all that you say I will do. I will go down to this place where they're celebrating. I will wait until he's done eating and drinking. I will figure out where he lays down. I'll uncover his feet and I'll lay there. Now, some of you are thinking, this is going to get bad. I'm going to tell you up front that nothing bad happens. That it's a, actually a picture of purity that we see in the book of Ruth. That although things could have gotten out of control because they are focused on Jesus, that things don't get out of control. Sorry for spoiling the end of the story for you. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, that's how I know it just wasn't Diet Coke, his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. So this is what's happening. It's like if you just made a huge business deal and you have millions of dollars 
take it to the bank and you're like, hey, can I just go in the vault and sleep on the money? That's what I want to do. This is what Boaz is doing. He is sleeping on the grave. Then she, Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. The dude's sleeping. She uncovers his feet as he's laying down. Y'all think the Bible ain't good, man. Y'all need to read your Bible. It's pretty good. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. So here's what's happening, man. He's asleep. She uncovers his feet softly. He doesn't know. He's a hard sleeper. He's also really full from eating and drinking. He was really merry. And then his feet are uncovered. He wakes up at midnight. There's somebody at his feet and he's startled. And he's like, whoa, what's going on? This is what's happening. It is amazing. And verse 9 says, he said, who are you? Now, there's a lot of questions I would be asking if somebody was at my feet at midnight while I was sleeping. And it probably wouldn't be, who are you? But he says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is what she's saying. She's saying, I want you to, to cover me with your protection, with your provision. And we see that the, the same word used here for wings is used when the woman who had, a, who had a problem with bleeding was trying to work through the crowd to touch the, the garment of Jesus. She says, if I could just touch the, the end, if I could just touch the garment of Him. That is the same word used here that there's power in the, in the outside. There's power in the wings of God. And she's saying, hey, and I want to be protected under your wings as a godly man. I want to be under your provision. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. And that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. So here, here's what's happening. Boaz is, is a little older. She's a little younger. And we're going to see that she's, she's a beautiful woman, at least according to Boaz. And he's saying, you could have had any young guy that you wanted that works for me. But you chose to wait on me. You could have, you could have had anybody else you wanted, but you chose me. And now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet, there is a redeemer nearer than I. Third thing here is godly women are holy. They're just set apart. man. They are, they are something that is special because they have been set apart by God. As believers, we are all holy and set apart because He is holy. And we just sang about this, that man, we are His people, He is our God, and He is the one that makes us holy. And godly women, because they have a relationship with Him, they are holy and set apart. And we see that Ruth is, is a living example of that because all the townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. This story... This, this thing that happened in history. We're going to see that God's sovereignty is all through this. That out of all the fields that Ruth could have gone to, she happens to happen 
in the field of Boaz. And he just so happens to be a redeemer of all the land that Elimelech had. And we know that Elimelech is now dead and that his land is just out there open and somebody has to redeem that or it just goes away. So to keep it in the family, somebody has to redeem it. And we see that Boaz just happens to be a redeemer. We see that she just so happens to know exactly where he's going to be at this party. She just so happens to be able to uncover his feet without waking him up. Just so happens he wakes up at midnight with some young, pretty girl down at his feet. And then he says, who are you? She says who she is. They have a conversation. And then things begin to change in their relationship because now the redemption process has been set in motion. Or that is how it seems. The truth is the redemption process was set in motion a long time ago. And that's how the sovereignty of God works. That even while we were still sinners, Jesus came on a rescue mission for That the first time that we heard the redemption story, that's not when it was set in motion. The redemption story was set in motion thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Because God is sovereign over all things, all time, forever and ever and ever. And the sovereignty of God is something that we we have to grasp. Or we will we will tear ourselves apart trying to do things that we weren't meant to do. I'm going to take you back to 2019. 2019 was was a year of whatever it was for you. For me, it was a year of a lot of planning, a lot of preparation, a lot of we were about to plan a brand new church in Harlem. Let me tell you a secret. I'm not from Harlem. Let me tell you another secret. If you're from Harlem, you don't like people not from Harlem. That's just how it goes. And and I knew that coming in. I'm just I'm not from here. I'm a, I'm actually not even from Columbia County. So that's another hurdle for me. Like I'm from South Augusta. I'm from Richmond County. You come over here to Columbia County, a little different. You come from South Augusta to Columbia County, way different. It's just not the same world. And they're like, oh, you're a South Augusta boy. Yeah, I am. But I'm a redeemed. South Augusta boy because God has redeemed me as a sinner in 2019 I am preparing with an amazing team that in God's sovereignty he has he put together for us to start a brand new church and I had no idea what was going to happen no idea still don't really have an idea all the time of what's going on just going to be honest about that but we, we, we plan a date We pray through that. We understand, hey, January 5th, 2020, that's it, man. We're launching a brand new church. We're going to meet in the elementary school, and we don't know how long we're going to have to meet there. Maybe we get a building in six months. Maybe we get a building in six years. We don't know. We're trusting the sovereignty of God. So January 5th, 2020, we meet in this room, in this building. We launch a brand new church officially. We meet for 11 weeks in this building. And then something happened in the world. COVID. Don't know if y'all remember that or not, but it happened. 
School says, hey, get out. You can't be here anymore. And we say, okay, fantastic. What are we going to do? We didn't have a plan for COVID. Like, we just didn't. We didn't know it was coming. We had no idea. And my plan, my plan was, hey, we'll just keep meeting through it because we could separate a lot in here. This is, it'll be fine. And then the school says, yeah, you can keep meeting through it, just not here. It's like, great. We have nowhere else to go. So in God's sovereignty, somehow we never missed a Sunday. We didn't meet in person, but we began to, to record and live stream our messages for 12 weeks. So after 23 weeks of being a brand new church, 11 weeks in person, 12 weeks online only. That's how we started this thing. We said, okay, God, you got to have some kind of plan because mine ain't working. And Pastor Andrew allowed us to use his garage as like a studio. That's where we did everything. And it was a wreck in there, man. Like, I'm just going to be honest with you. We had stuff everywhere. And I just know Sally was ready for us to get out of her garage. I mean, there was, there was pipe and drape up. There was chair. I mean, we, it looked good on, on camera. Okay? It didn't look great off camera. And I don't know if you've ever tried to preach to a camera. It's a little different. It's a little different. And our camera, the one we had, it could only record for like 30 minutes. So my message had to be 29 minutes or less. Or it wasn't going to work. Some of y'all, y'all praise God for that. And I get it. Some of y'all are like, where's that camera at? We want it back. We upgraded a little bit so we could preach a little longer now. But man, we didn't have a plan. We didn't know what we were going to do. And then we came back that summer, and it was like we had never really had any momentum, really launched the church at all. It was just a, a group of faithful people that stuck around even through that. And man, it was just, it, we didn't know what was going to happen. But we saw that lives were still being changed. We saw that people were still saying yes to Jesus. We saw that people were still taking next steps to be baptized. We saw that marriages were still being restored. We saw that people that were far from God were coming to know who He was. We saw all this Jesus stuff happening and we realized even more that it's not about us, that it's all about Him. We realized even more that it is His sovereignty that, that keeps us together. That is, it is His sovereignty that allows us to do everything that we do, not just as a church, but as individual And now we fast forward to 2023 and our focus for this year has been to shift back Him, to resurrender our lives to Him, to shift everything in our life to Jesus. That He truly will be the one thing that drives everything in our life. And that includes relationships. And some of you, you were here for our relationship series back in February and we went through the book of Song of Solomon. It's one of my favorite series that we've done so far here at Impact Church. And we see that although we're in a relationship that is, that is God's sovereignty, that oftentimes we take our eyes off of Him and we begin to look at all the stuff around us. And the truth of the matter, the point is this, that we have to be the person that God has called us to be before we could ever, ever, ever think that we could be successful in any type of relationship that we have. I'm going to close with this. 
verse 13, chapter 3 says, Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. This is Boaz saying, there's another redeemer. We'll see if he'll redeem you. If not, I will. That's what he's saying. Talk about that next week. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. So he's still being generous. He's still providing. He's also protecting. He's saying, hey, don't, don't take the walk of shame out of, out of my room. Like we didn't do anything wrong. So don't let anybody know that you, that you were here because I don't want rumors to start. I want to provide for you. And then she went into the city. In verse 16, and this is probably the most powerful verse for a relationship in this book. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? And this is Ruth's answer. Then she told her all that the man had done for her. It doesn't say that she told her all that the man had done to her. It doesn't say that she told her about all what the man did with her. She told her all that the man had done for her. If somebody went out, this is, this is what I thought about last night, if Ashley went out with some of her friends and, and they were like, hey, so tell me, tell me about your relationship with Dustin. Would she be able to tell them about all the things that I do for her? Not the things that I do to her, not the things that I do with her, but the things that I do for her. What do you do for your spouse? Do you show them value? Do you show them that they're worth it? Do you show them that you, you're there for them to protect and to provide, to support, to, to serve? Would they be able to tell all the things that you do for them? And again, man, I'm not saying that I have it, that I have it all together. I'm actually afraid if Ashley goes out with someone that she wouldn't be able to tell them all the things that I do for her. And, and as, a, as a godly husband, now we should be serving our wife. As a godly wife, we should be serving our husband because guess what? It's not about us. Marriage isn't about you. Marriage is about chasing Jesus. And then in His sovereignty, He allows a husband and a wife to come together and to serve one another. To be mutually submitted to one another under God. How's your relationship, man? What are you doing? If you're single, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to be chasing the one. I made a reference last night to Ashley about the, the Jerry Maguire, right? You complete me. And what a lie that is. What a lie it is that you think that somebody else on this earth completes you because they don't. Only Jesus can complete you. And we have a saying here that God is our one, our spouse is our two. And what we have to do is we have to pursue our two, but we can never do that unless we're chasing after our one, and that is Jesus. Man, if you're dating someone, don't just, or you're trying to find a wife or a husband, don't try to find someone to complete you. 
Just be the one that the one you're looking for is looking for. You be that person. And if you're married, don't try to change your spouse. Don't try to try to nag them into being something that they're not. No, you just become the one that you are longing for. Lead the way in chasing after Jesus. Lead the way in being the godly husband, the godly wife that God has called you to be. And as you chase Jesus, as you chase Jesus, then He gives you those moments that you get to turn and face one another and that you get to do this life together. Are you chasing Jesus? Are you shifted toward Him in your life? What are you doing for your spouse? And the for comes from what God is doing on the inside. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.